Hi, I'm Tyler Yules. Welcome to How the Grades Do It. Welcome back to another episode of How the Grades Do It. Super excited for our guest today. You know you have me, your host, Tyler Yules, but our guest is Tyler. We have a go-to-market leader um, leading sales and marketing, had multiple exits, and now has transitioned to consulting. Please help me welcome Mike Hanauer, man. Mike, appreciate you jumping on with me, bro. Yeah, yeah. It's good good to be here. Good to see you again. I, I dressed up a little bit for you today just so I could fit in. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. Um, I'd love to for you to tell a little bit about like the exits that you went through and, you know, somewhat of your journey of how you got to where you are now. Yeah, yeah. And it's it, it's it's interesting because the the two exits were they were very, very different scenarios. Um yeah. and I so the first one, uh, I joined a company called Datto, um, who is a very small provider of uh, backup disaster recovery solutions to managed service providers. And I'd never sold backup before. Um, I had never worked with managed service providers. They had to explain it to me what a managed service provider was. Um, right. But because I had a background in um, sort of tech, um, I was a nuclear engineer <laughs> before I got into sales. Um, they hired me as a sales engineer. I was employed 25 there. Um, the company was doing maybe 10 million a year at that point. Um, and the the short story is that eight years later, it was 2,000 employees, over a billion dollar valuation. I had a team of 100. Um, it was it was absolutely nuts. But but it was to get there was 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 pretty interesting. So I started as a sales engineer. And within about 30 days or so, they moved me into a, a sales rep position. Um, and three months later, my manager got fired. And and my boss came to the team. He was like, hey, like, you guys, we got to find another manager for the team. And I was like, I'll, I'll be the manager. I'll do it. And that yeah. I got my first manager job by just raising my hand and asking for it. Um, and I was in that sales manager position for, uh, I want to say, two or, two or three years. Um, and I was moved into a director position and following that, they kept bringing in, there were, there were multiple CROs coming in and SVPs of sales, and they were coming in and out over the course of like four years. And they finally, they, they hired this guy, Brian Hoffman, who was a great mentor to me. And his first day I walked into his office and I said, listen, they keep bringing in sales leaders. I keep asking for it. They gave it to you. I want to know what I need to do to get into your seat. Um, yeah. And he said, I'm going to, I'm going to kick your ass for two years. Um, and, and he did. Um, and they eventually moved me into a VP position. And one, one of the first things that I did um, when I got that position, they announced it at sales kickoff is I got on stage and I announced that we were doing, we were now putting together like a team lead program that like future leaders, when, if they wanted to be in leadership positions, this is what they needed to do, their qualifications and, all of yeah. the things that I didn't have um, that I had to continually ask for, I made it a very clear pipeline for people that um, that that they could do it, and it was it was helpful on both sides because people knew that hey, if you didn't meet these six criteria, I don't care if a management position's opening up, you're not even eligible to interview for it. Don't expect to get it. But yeah. the people that really really wanted it, they would enter into that program um, and they'd hit the qualifications. And we had our pick of the litter. And in the eight years that I was there, we hired one outside sales manager. Everybody else wow. was an internal manager. 
Which is I pretty mean, cool. that's a great story too, right? Like, cause you know, if you think about creating a deck of people to be able to constantly move up and, and move into leadership, you know, that's always a difficult thing. Yeah. You always be able to pull those people within, man. And have, having, that, having that bench, it makes the, the hiring process so much easier that you have Absolutely. people that are ready. And when you have a, a bigger position, like a director, I mean, you got a pool of eight people to pull from. from. There's three that have met the qualifications to move up. And um, everybody at that point pretty much knows who's going to get it. Um, yeah. So it's not a surprise to anyone. Um, but so I, I was in the VP role and... Um, at, at the time we'd gone through two rounds of venture funding. Um, we'd acquired three companies, um, and we eventually exited to, to Vista equity partners. Um, and, and for those who don't know Vista, they're, they're a, a massive, massive private equity firm. Um, if you need to do, if you don't know Vista, you need to do a quick, um, a quick search, uh, because they, they own a ton of the tech companies out there. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, you should uh, maybe read up just a little bit. <laughs> and so, so I, um, I, I realized I was in my my early thirties at this point, um, and I realized like I want to keep going up. I want to be a CRO, and yeah. I knew that you know being in your thirties and and in a two thousand employee Vista company, chances are they're 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 going to bring somebody that they know from the outside. And I knew, I knew it was I I had to leave if I wanted that CRO position. Um, yeah. so I eventually found that position with, uh, with a company called Scout, um, who was significantly smaller, um, significantly smaller than Datto, but it was, um, it was a CRO title that I wanted. And the, the, the product was, a, it was SOC, Steam, Endpoint Protection, Email Protection, um, all things that were super hot in 2017. Yeah. And, um, what they were doing was they were a direct business that wanted to transition into selling managed, selling to managed service providers. And at that point, after eight years, I, I knew what a managed service provider was at that point. Yeah. Um, so, so I joined there and I, I helped them transition from a direct model to a channel model. Um, and we, we, we tripled revenue over the time that I was there in two years. Um, and we exited the business to Barracuda MSP, who is owned by Toma Bravo. And if you don't know Toma Bravo, you need to do some, some Google search. <laughs> do a little research. <laughs> yeah. And so I was, I was back and, and I was back at a, uh, a 2000 employee private equity owned company. And I was, they'd, they'd moved me into a vice president of XDR sales, um, when I was there. So I, I stayed an extra nine months, made sure it was a, was a smooth transition. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, those, those were the two, the two big exits. I mean, one going from you know, 25 employees to, to 2000. Um, and the other one, we actually, we kept the business the same size, if not reduced it a little bit. Um, but it was transitioning from a direct model to a channel model through a pandemic. Um, yeah. And I mean, it was just, I mean, both of them were, were crazy fun rides, but, um, but very, very different. Yeah, I bet. I bet. You know, that's, that's, that seems totally different. You know, I'd love to like take a step back and think about the very beginning when you raised your hand. You know, so many people don't raise their hand. And so I'd love to understand like that mentality that you had at that time and why you raised your hand and, you know, what you learned through that time period. Cause I'm sure it wasn't as easy just raising your hand. There was still a transition of you having to figure shit yeah. out. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting cause there's a lot of people that will, um, they'll think that, you know, my manager sucks. I could do a better job, but when yeah, the opportunity sure. comes up, 
they're not prepared for it. Um, yeah. and, uh, and, and they don't raise their hand. And every single time when I moved into a sales rep position in an industry, I didn't know, moved into a sales manager position, sales director position, VP, CRO, I wasn't ready for any of it, but you get yeah. it. Um, yeah. and it's the best place to learn, um, is by, by jumping in and raising your hand and, and doing it. So it's a lot of it comes down to confidence, but I mean, having imposter syndrome is normal and yeah. th thinking you're not ready for something that everybody around you says you are. Um, it's normal. It's completely normal. Um, and you can use that as a strength. No, I love that. Right. Like, and so have you, have you leaned on that, um, on that mentality throughout your career and, you know, yeah. how did you, how did you really develop that? Because I think that's really hard. You know, a lot of times people see sales reps and, you know, especially early on in your career, you're getting beat down yeah. um, with rejection. You're trying to figure stuff out and trying to become good at things that you are not necessarily good at. And so, yeah, my, so if you yeah. remember the name, the name Brian Hoffman, um, mm -hmm. he, one of his things that he used to say to me all the time is that I'm going to get you to a point that you're comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. So developing that, getting out of your comfort zone. I mean, that's, that's where the growth comes from. Um, mm -hmm. If you continuously do the same thing day in and day out and do it the same way, there's no growth there. Um, it is getting yourself to, to a point that you embrace the uncomfortable. Um, yeah. step, stepping up to the plate. Everybody, everybody wants to step up to the plate, bottom of the ninth, down three, bases loaded, full count. But you're everybody in that position. I don't care how many times you've done it. You are uncomfortable, but you have an opportunity yeah. to be the hero. But I was say, I'd also say, right, like they didn't, everyone wants to take that swing, but they don't want to put the work in to get to that point, to be able to be at that bat, at, yeah. just to get at bat, right? Like there's so much that had to happen. And so, yeah. you know, I think uh, that quality that you had really early on in your career is the reason why you were able to help, you know, really grow this company and obviously have um, that successful exit to Vista, right? And so I'd love to understand are there certain ways that you were you helped instill that or bring that quality out of other people um, that you found successful throughout your career in leading? Yeah, so I mean, I I would I would try to put people, including myself, into positions yeah. that they were uncomfortable. And I think a great a great example of that is that I'm not comfortable on stage in front of my peers. I don't like yeah. I don't like public speaking. From from what I hear from other people, I'm good at it, but I don't yeah. like doing it. It makes me very uncomfortable. Um, so when I moved into a VP role, I set a monthly in-person team meeting that forced me to get up on stage every month. Um, yeah. And I would and I would get the other people that I knew were also uncomfortable with getting on stage that, hey, I need you to come up and talk about the deal of the month. Um, I need you to come up and talk about who are our ideal customers. Um, a lot of sales managers, first time as sales managers, they have difficulty having difficult conversations. Um, it was I showing them the strategies that I would use because a lot of people feel the same way as I did when I was in their shoes. Um, yeah. And actually setting a calendar invite to have an uncomfortable conversation because you can't you can't turn away from it at that point when you send a an invite to a rep on your team that you need to talk to them in a conference room at 3 p.m. You don't have that meeting. They're going to come to your desk at 3 p.m. and ask you what's going on. 
So yeah, sure. You, you have to force yourself to to be in those positions that you don't want to be in. Yeah. It, and and I think it's easier said than done, you know. And also, right, like it, it also takes a leader like yourself that helps put them in those positions. Um, where they're way, like, I'm sure that you always didn't have a manager or a leader that always did that. Like, what were yeah. some of the ways that you figured out a way to, you know, gain more visibility or, um, you know, be that hand raiser without somebody asking for the hand raiser? So I, I think for me, it was, it was a, it was just a part of my personality um, yeah. that I, I, I wanted to do it. I wanted to be a sales manager. I wanted to lead a sales team, be a CRO one day. Um, like still now, like I want to be an operating partner at a private equity firm. Um, I don't know when that's going to happen, but I'm, but I'm working towards it. Um, you're, but, putting, you're putting it out there in the world and now the world there knows. It is. There it is. There it is. Um, yeah. And and so when I when I was uh, when I was a sales manager, I made it a point to really understand my people um, and yeah. have them. A lot of salespeople, like they're they're usually like the confident uh, former athletes, um, those types of people that they're not used to showing weakness. They're used to showing strength. So sure. understanding really what what makes people tick. And I mean, even if you look at things like commission plans, there's Salespeople are motivated by money, but as a sales manager, you have to understand nobody wants, nobody just wants to look at their bank account every day. They want to do something with that money. And a lot of times it's understanding that they want to pay off their student loan, buy an engagement ring, put a down payment on the house, let their parents retire. Like that's the thing that's motivating them, not the paycheck. So really getting to know your people and having them comfortable with you to, to tell you where they're uncomfortable, what their weaknesses are, allow you to help them because otherwise everything you try to correct with them is just going to be a hunch. Yeah, absolutely. And But I think to do that, right, you need to build an immense amount of trust with your team and um, mm-hmm. with your colleagues in that sense, right? And, and so were yep. there different ways that you found to build that trust and help build that relationship in a really organic way? Because I think a lot of times those kind of conversations, they can't be forced, right? Like they've, they've got to feel natural and they've got to flow. And, and so were there, yeah, I mean, were there certain strategies? It was being in that super high startup environment, um, hyper growth. Like there was beer every Friday, Friday afternoon. If you wanted to have a conversation, <laughs> a real conversation with somebody, that was the time to do it. Hey, but um, hey, given opportunities to network, right. With your colleagues, like, Hey, yeah. maybe that's, maybe that's the answer, right. Is like the only way to have, the only way to build trust and have that real connection is to have a real connection with somebody. And the only way you do that is to get to know them as a person a little bit more. And it's all, it's also important to, to, to show vulnerability. Like it's, it's like any relationship that like you can't have one side that's vulnerable and the other side that's not, it's a a give and take. And, and if you're looking at a good sales manager, a good sales leader, he doesn't have a team that works for them. He works for that team to clear roadblocks for them. And, make them better and make them bigger commissions. And like, that's what the leader's there for. Um, yeah. So it has to be a two way street. It has to be that you're sharing with them. Also, if there's, if there's things you need help with, give them an opportunity to step up. Um, and like, Hey, you do a great job on QBRs. I have to get a QBR deck to the rest of the team. Can you help me do this? Cause I don't have the time. I'm working on these other things. They'll want the chance to step up. Yeah. That's a really good point. And then so, um, you, 
were there different ways that you identify those future leaders or did they like help identify themselves? So it was, it was a little bit of both. Um, yeah. A lot of times you can tell the, just with the personality of somebody, if, if they would be a good leader. Um, Absolutely. And it's not always the best salesperson. Um, a it's lot never, of times. I don't think it's, I think 90% of the time it's not the best salesperson. Yeah. And you look at like the best sale, like my, my dad was a phenomenal salesperson. Um, he's, he's retired now, but I still get advice from him all the time. But yeah. when I got my first manager role, he was like, don't do it. He's like, stay an individual contributor your whole career. <laughs> you don't want to, you don't want to depend on other people. And, um, and I, I also had, I had a great sales rep at, um, when I was at Datto that was constantly the top performer. He's still there, still a top performer, still an individual contributor. So. Um, I think there's, there's a hunch, but there's also, there, there's clear metrics that you got to hit. Like you can't, you can't be in charge of a sales team if you're at 60% of quota all the time. Um, 100%. if you've never gone to president's club, if you can't actually show that you've done the work, but it doesn't have to be the person that 150, it could be the person that consistently hits 95 to 105 every month, um, every quarter, every year. Um, but then once you get that consistency and you know, Hey, they can, they can do the job. Um, then you start giving, giving tests. There's a, maybe there's a team lead position. Maybe there's a presentation in the weekly sales meeting. Um, maybe it's like getting training on interviewing and you, you can start to see there, there was a, um, a monthly meeting that we'd have with all the team leads and future leaders that we'd go over a specific topic, whether it was, um, you know, one-on-one situational leadership, um, how to conduct an interview, any of the legal things you can, things you can't say, um, how to do a performance improvement plan, terminating people. And we'd go through yeah. this, these monthly sessions that you'd see that there would people, there would be people that would be like, listen, I thought being a manager was going to be easier than being a sales rep. So I'm out. I'm going to, I'm going to stick with the individual yeah. contributor. Um, and you end up with, a, with a pool of people that have done the work, have done it successfully know what they're going to have to do actually on a day-to-day basis in the job and still want to do it. Yeah. I, I mean, I love that. And I, I think that we, we also, you know, you, we also had the luxury. We were, we were hiring 15, 20 new sales reps every month. So when yeah. somebody came in, there was a path for them to be a sales manager in a year, a sales director in three years. And not a lot of companies do you get that. No, I mean, yeah, for to have a really clear path, especially with that amount of growth, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, right? Like people naturally found their way into that role, and I think that you know, with that many people, you can really set people apart and say, all right, you know, you always have your twenty percent in the top, your, you know, that sixty percent in the middle, and twenty percent at the bottom. <laughs> well, man, I love to transition a little bit, like you know, now you're kind of moving towards this consult more towards consulting with companies. And so like, I love to understand like, what's the passion there? And um, why did you decide to make that transition with working just to one company um, on an off basis? Cause it sounds like you could have gone right into another CR, CR role. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and, and I did, I, I was looking at doing that initially. Um, I, I've always wanted to, to consult small businesses. Um, yeah. Small businesses, they don't, they don't get the benefit of a seasoned revenue leader that can oversee sales and marketing and understand, you know, buyer personas and value propositions and, and all of those things. Um, just because they don't, they don't have the funds for it. They don't have the experience for it. Um, 
And a lot of them just end up floundering. So I've always wanted to do this. But what I found was that you look, you look back 10 years ago, there, there was no CRO type. It was, you know, you had a VP of sales and marketing. Yeah, VP of sales. They, they reported to the COO in most cases. Um, but the revenue revenue side of the business obviously became a lot more exciting in, in VC and private equity and the chief revenue officer title was born. Yeah, um, it was. Yeah. So you see when people get to a series series B, um, sometimes even in a series A, the investor comes in and says, hey, you need a CRO. Let's get a CRO in here. Um, and I had interviewed at a lot of those those companies that were, hey, we just took on a round of funding. We're hiring for our first CRO. And like you, you look at the company and they, they don't need a CRO yet. Yeah. They if if the company grows like crazy, they're gonna need a CRO in a year or two. But they don't need a CRO quite yet. What what they actually need is they need somebody that can come in, look at the people process and technologies, set up the strategy in the right way, get the dashboards and everything automated, start to build out the, the framework for board decks, get the compensation design correct. And then take that that top sales manager, top sales director, give give them a promotion with all of the tools in place. Yeah. Um, and if they can rise to the occasion, they can be the CRO. It's going to be a lot cheaper for the company to do that rather than hire outside. They'll probably save hundreds to $200,000 a year plus equity in the business. Um, and I spent a lot of time in my previous roles sort of automating myself out of my day-to-day job. So I figured, why not make a career out of it? And yeah. my wife, my wife ultimately convinced me, um, and she she uh, she said, "Hey, listen, you you've wanted to do this consulting thing for a while. We've got runway. It's the right time of the year to start this." And we sat down that night. We picked out um, the business name. We got the website. We established the LLC, um, and just to make sure that I wouldn't turn back. Two weeks later, for my birthday, she got me custom license plates with the business name on it. So. Like I'm locked, you're locked in, in. You're locked in. I'm locked in. I got to do it for at least three years. Well, we won't. We won't say you're locked in 100. percent You know, if the right opportunity, any, you know, for all of us, right? All of us leaders out there, if the right opportunity ever comes around, oh, yeah. you know, we <laughs> we're coming. Yep. Off, we're coming off the consulting. Any, any, anybody listening that's looking for a uh, operating <laughs> partner at a private equity firm? <laughs> As I said, I'm yeah. not ready yet, but I'll get there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey. You know, I think Mike has risen to the occasion many of times, and this is probably another one of those times that he will figure out and rise to the occasion. Um, oh yeah. So, like when these when these companies, right, in, in that in that maybe they've gotten their first round of funding and they're trying to figure a lot of this stuff out, and they think they need a revenue leader, and maybe they do need some sort of guidance. Like, is there a framework that you're following when you come in? And say like, hey, all right, I'm going to do an evaluation of your of what you know what you can improve. And you know, you said you said people, technology, process, yep. right? Like, is there it, yeah, so, is there so a one a, size fits I, all? Or it's it's it never really can be one size fits all. But um, yeah, I, I have a framework that's got it's eight core competencies that um, range all the way from uh, you know product market fit all the way through. Um, is the leadership team set up the right way, succession planning, all those things. And each one of those core competencies has four subcategories that could be all the way down into compensation design, ideal customer profiles, partner profiles. Um, And what I do is I I have 
individual questions that I ask each each level of the organization, from the C levels to through middle management down to the individual contributors. Because um, what I found early on is if you ask a question like, <coughs> um, "Is is the pricing right? Have we have we gone through a pricing exercise? Is the pricing right for our marketing positioning?" Um, the C levels are going to say, "Yeah." Um, the middle management, who knows what they're going to say? Individual contributors are going to say it's too expensive. Like, what's what's the right answer? Right. Um, so I'm not only looking for where is everybody saying yes and where is everybody saying no, but I'm also looking for where there's discrepancies between the senior leadership and the individual contributors. Um, where I always see a difference is in compensation design, and it's usually one or the other um, that. But C-levels and individual contributors generally feel the opposite about compensation design. Um, it's either that the individual contributors are getting paid too much um, or they're not getting paid enough. And the opposite is going to be um, what the senior leadership says, that they're they're too expensive for the work they're doing or they're just not hitting quota. That's why they're not happy. Sure. And so, like, you know, as you give this survey, are there things that, are there certain like KPIs or questions that you're looking for that are like key indicators to saying, Hey, this is, this may be broken. I know you've obviously mentioned one with the compensation, but are there different yeah. areas along the, the process that you're like, um, you know, making sure you keep an eye out for those, those certain, like, I think there's maybe certain things that you're kind of keeping an eye out for. Yeah. So, um, looking at I, ideal customer profiles is, is, really, really important. And it's not necessarily yeah. to understand um, who the ideal customers are. It's to understand where are those ideal customers? Are we spending marketing dollars in the right places? Um, for example, if your ideal customer is spending is spending two hours a day on Reddit, get on Reddit and do things yeah, for yeah. free. <laughs> uh, like You don't need to spend $40,000, $100,000 to go to the Consumer Electronics Show if those users are on Instagram all day. Um, yeah. So um, there's that. I usually look for that. And that's that's not a crazy long exercise if you have enough historic data to figure out who your ideal customers are and you have good demographic data. Um, org design is is another one. It's And it's, it's a complicated fix, but it's not an expensive fix. Um, yeah. Getting org design correct. Um, and, and aligning the strategies at the different levels for each like operational group. So having a go-to-market strategy and then what's the marketing strategy, what's the sales strategy, what's the customer acquisition strategy, customer success strategy, having all of those aligned to the strategy above it. And then even going down a level further, like you have a marketing strategy, how does your event strategy align? How does your social media strategy align? What is product marketing? What is partner marketing? And having all those, like creating a tree of yeah. strategies. And most cases, what I find is people have them in their head, but they just haven't written them down and they haven't communicated them to their peers. So everybody knows how all the pieces Everybody knows be. their own goals and how they're going to be comped exactly. and bonus, but no one else knows how they're comped and bonus and what their goals and how they're shooting for them and what the things they're doing to get to them. Exactly. So I love this tree effect where you're taking the executive priorities and saying, hey, how are you then supporting them? And then how are you day-to-day -day and week-to-week and quarterly supporting yep. those 
because if it, if you're doing something that's not supporting these this executive priority, then you're focusing on the there, wrong thing. There's and a, I love that. There's a I think it was in Forbes. I read it a while ago. I think it was in Forbes, and I think it was Red Bull Racing, the Formula One team. Yeah. Um, and they went in for an interview there, and their CEO, I think, asked the reporter to walk around to everybody that they see and ask them what they did. Ask them what they did. And they walked around. Every single person said, I make the car go faster. The secretary makes the car go faster by making sure the coffee is filled for the engineers. The guy who does the brake gallopers makes the car go faster around the track because the braking is more efficient. They can accelerate. They can accelerate out of the turn faster. Every single person was aligned to how they make the car go faster. Yeah. You know, you bring up Red Bull and they, and, and it's a great, it's a great example for a lot of things. You know, that's a company that totally understands their ICP. They're not taking pictures of Red Bull. They're showing up to the clubs and handing out Red Bull. They're um, going to be sponsors of all this, all these events. So they just are constantly on TV because they yeah. know their, they know their ideal prospect and they know their ideal prospect doesn't want to see me see a commercial about, how Red Bull gives you wings anymore. Yeah. What we want to do is we want to watch entertainment. Well, also they can't and... do that. They got sued and I got a free four pack. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. But my point in all that is like, understand your ideal um, customer profile is so important. I think so many um, people are missing the mark. Why do you think, like, I don't know if you see that as well when you're going and consulting with companies. And if, if, I'd love to um, like talk about like why do you think that is? So I think that most businesses start and get to a phase of sort of desperation that they'll take any business they can get, yeah. and they don't get out of that um, necessarily. And you can concentrate your efforts a lot more and and get in the right areas with the right value propositions if you understand who you really really want to go after. Um, it's going to reduce your market, but I, I think the reason people people miss it is they think if they focus on one sub segment that they're going to miss everything else, and yeah. it's there, there's a there's a FOMO problem. And what I always say is like you're not you're not ditching anybody. Take any business that comes in if you can Absolutely. support it and you can deliver a good customer experience. Take all the business you can get, but make sure your marketing efforts are focused on acquiring these that are going to close at a 5% higher close ratio at 3x the average selling price. Focus on those and make sure your best hunters are focused on these I's or these these ICPA, if that's what you want to call them. Um, Make sure you got executive resources tied to them because they're going to grow faster. Make sure your account management team knows who those customers are. Make sure your support team understands the messaging for when they talk to these specific customers and just give them a way better experience. And yeah. if you're not if you're not in that ideal group, what can we automate in your process? How can we do digital customer acquisition? How can we do um uh product led growth approach? Um how can how can we automate the onboarding process for them? and take the human resources out of it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that totally makes sense, right? Like, it's all got to flow with the process. You know, it's like that Marcus Limonis, right? Like, uh, people, product, 
process and you know without those right like you're right like it it, it won't work um what about the, the you know i know you had mentioned like organizational organization organizational management of a of an organization like why is that so important um when when coming in and evaluating so there's there's uh there's a few things there's um on the senior leadership team and executive leadership team um you'll you'll generally see one of like three scenarios one it's the executive team that's been there for 20 years and they know each other um the other is that it's a the ceo's been there was the founder and he's been there they just got around to funding and every other c-level executive has been there less than a year um and the other is that it's a it's a mix that there are these two, three sort of co-founders early on, usually CTO and a CEO. And then they, they brought in these outsiders and they, and there's a, there's always a weird dynamic between, um, between all of those things. When you have a senior leadership team that's been there a while, they're generally not great at communicating down. Um, and when you've got that sort of new leaders in place and then there's the old guard that's still there, there's a dynamic that, hey, you brought me in to, to, to change these things, but you're not letting me change anything. Yeah. Um, and so there's always a, an interesting dynamic there. And, and oftentimes it's just like, it's an offsite. You got to do a kumbaya moment. And as long as it's well-structured, it's, it's not a ceremony and it's not a waste of time. Um, it's just a way to get aligned and make sure you all understand not only, hey, what is this person doing? But what does this person depend on me to do so they can get to their goals? Um, yeah. So there's aligning on the strategy and aligning on on the uh, on the interdependencies. Um, on the other side, when you get below that, it the design of the organization can have a huge effect on how efficient the team is. Um, I consulted for a company. When I came in, the CEO had 16 direct reports, and yeah, CEO had 16 wow. direct reports, and this company was uh, close to 100 million in revenue, and they had three people in marketing, and one reported to the CEO, one reported to product, and one reported to sales. There was no single leader for marketing to align on the strategy, and they were all just doing whatever they were told to yeah. do in their own individual section. Nothing was cohesive. Um, so even outside the executive team, like there's so many efficiencies that that you can build just by having the right, but the right design and making sure people don't have more than eight to ten eight to ten direct reports, um, and making sure people are delegating things down, like CEOs on forecast calls, for example, like no, go spend your hour doing something else, talking to the investors, get on the phone with the big client, we'll let you know what the forecast is. Um, yeah. So it's it's all about how you can be the most efficient with the resources that you have. And it's not uncommon that you can get more efficient with less people. <laughs> I totally get that. You know, more hands in the basket, right? Yep. Um and and more heads at the top, right? Sometimes you make it a little bit di- a little bit more difficult to make decisions. Yep. Um what about, you know, as you're going through the process and you set the structure up, um, you know, 
you know, you mentioned, you know, there's probably somewhere that, you know, a leader there at the company that you can kind of groom into that, into that high level leader. And so I'd love to hear, like, what are some of the things that you think that, that, that VP of sales is missing? And maybe you can relate it back to yourself. Like, what do you think you truly were missing as you were going to make that transition from like the, the head revenue leader to really that, um, that CRO? Yeah. So what the big change that happens when you go from a senior revenue leader into, into a CRO position is when you're in say like a VP of sales role, you have one person that you report to. Yeah. That's it. You report to them. They're your boss. When you get into a C-level position, everybody on the, on the C-suite is essentially a team. Um, Yeah. And you all, if you, if it's, if it's structured the right way, you all sort of report into each other, like the CRO and the CFO have to be best friends, um, yeah. especially at the end of the year when you're building the revenue model and getting comp design approved and all those things. You got the CTO who's building the product that's going to determine if you can sell it um, or has got to fix a bug so you can close this deal. Um, and then you've got the CEO that's got the the whole operational organization that he's that that he or she's responsible for but then you have the board um yeah and you've got you've got independence also that potentially there's a there's a go-to-market leader that's an independent um and you don't necessarily report to them but there's a you got a resource there um but you still got your monthly package that you got to give to the board you got your quarterly board meetings that you got to do and they're the people that own the company yeah. so um, so it changes from having one person that you're reporting to, to having five to 10 different personalities and interactions that you have to sort of work together with. Yeah. It's and almost I, like I you, and I don't think I, you, you can't get that without doing it. Yeah. It's not a way to like train to, that. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Right. But it's almost like you have to take a step back and then be a salesperson again to manage all these different personalities. And it's maybe like chief collaborate collaborator, right? It's like mm-hmm. true discovery with all these different partners and, you know, with the board. And if you took it, if you take it with that kind of, um, you know, that mentality, you're probably a bit, a bit better off than really yeah. working in that silo and, um, in what you're used to, right? Like, you're more so just managing managing the team rather than managing people managing your know, relationship. Yep, exactly. Is that hard for people to like make that transition back into that different mindset? So you're talking about going from a C level back into a I mean just or... like going for going from the VP to the to the C level. So, you think it's difficult uh, for a lot of people to to make that transition. I mean, it's got me. It was it was difficult for me. Um, yeah. And but I, I'm one of those people that constantly wants feedback. So as soon as the deal closed, um, like I was I was with the board. We were all out to dinner, and I'm like, Hey, did you ever think I I I wouldn't make it? Or you know, what did I do wrong in the beginning? Um, yeah. What 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 are some areas that I still need to improve on? So. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm constantly, I still don't think I've got it down. Um, I don't think I ever will, cause there's going to be different yeah. personalities, but it's, it, it was difficult for me. Um, and I assume it's, I assume it's difficult for, for everybody. 
Yeah. I mean, we, I guess we all have that, you know, like you said, we all have that imposter syndrome that we yeah. go through. And, um, you know, even, even we as leaders, right? Like we go through different slums and, and, and parts of that where we doubt ourselves sometimes, right. And, and our ability. So it's, it's, you know, we all have that. I spoke with someone yesterday, um, and her name is um, Jamie Diglow, and she she talks about winning the war room, and it's like this war room of uh, of this self defeating thoughts, um, and really living in the win room of these positive, all these positive thoughts and these little wins that um, obviously help us, obviously sell yeah. more, and um, and so I, I like think that. about that. Actually, at the end, when you go around and, and you know, and you're asking for that feedback, do you think that's why you've constantly been able to? level up and make yourself better because you're open to the feedback yeah i i actually i have gotten that comment like i I did a 360 review it was part of the process um when we were uh when we were getting acquired so there's a 360 review and every single other person on the executive team had some mention about how easy it was to give me feedback because i was constantly asking for it and I would make changes to my behavior, my board sides, whatever I was doing. I wanted feedback. I wanted to improve. Um, and I think that that's also, it's a mentality of athletes. And salespeople are athletes um, yeah. in my mind. Um, and it's just, it's it's the need for constant improvement, whether or not, um, whether or not you like it or not, if you want to get better and you don't want to get negative feedback anymore, you get better. Yeah. You know, so often I think people go through and just don't ask for the feedback because they're scared of the feedback. Yeah. And, you know, I'd love to hear some advice from you as somebody that's always, wel- you know, always somewhat welcome to feedback. Because I think there's a vulnerability in asking for feedback, but it's the only way that we can get better. And so it's really that idea of staying uncomfortable and being, yeah. being uncomfortable. Like, love to hear if you have advice for people out there that, you know, that they know they want the feedback, but they're scared that what they're going to hear. So my... My thought process is that I would rather ask somebody what they think of me than assume that I know and have them actually think that every time they look at me. Because chances (laughs) chances are you're wrong. They think more of you than they think they do. Um, Yeah. But if if you don't ask, you're constantly going to be in your own head thinking that they think what you think they think. That's so funny. So, so funny and so true, right? And yeah. How is it so small to just ask, say, like, hey, how am I doing with things? Or am I meeting the expectations that you have in place for and me? The worst that's going to happen is they say out loud what you think they think. True. That's difference. Right? Like, hey, that's, you're probably thinking the worst of the worst. Yeah. You always <laughs> think it's worse. <laughs> Oh man, I think um this has been super helpful. Um, Mike, I know that um I've learned a lot from um from, from working with you on this podcast, so I appreciate you taking the time. Well thanks, Tyler. This was fun. Well we should Absolutely, do it again, man. but not record it. <laughs> we can do that. We can absolutely do that, man. I'm excited um, to release this. You know, this is going to be on Spotify, Apple Music, and so all the places. Mike, where can people connect with you after this, um, you know, to further follow up? Yeah, so LinkedIn's probably best. Uh, You can also 
Email me at mike.hanauer, H-A-N-A-U-E-R, at greenlakect.com. Love it. Hey, Mike, we appreciate you, and this is another episode of How the Grades Do It.